All right. Hi. Good morning. Um, my name is Kat. For those who don't know, uh, I get the joy and the honor of being the youth pastor here at One Church. <laughs> They are, they are pretty wonderful, I'd have to agree. Um, before we go any further, let's pray. Um, God, we thank you for who you are. Holy Spirit, I thank you for the fact that you are here. Um, God, I thank you for the fact that you've gone before these words and what my mouth is about to preach what the words that you have, you've gone before me and, and you've already prepared the hearts of those who need to hear this message. God, I pray that you will fill me with your words, that when I leave this stage, it's not about me, but that people see your heart, they hear your voice. In your name I pray, amen. So before I really start, I need to preface with two things. Number one, um, I'm pregnant, so I have a little bit of pregnancy brain. Now, I'm not depending on that. I'm just saying I do. So if I'm halfway through a sentence and all of a sudden I pause or get distracted, it's because it went into the little part of my brain that no longer exists. <laughs> Number two, I'm super excited about what God has to say to us through this message. Um, it has been wrecking me for the last two weeks and really this week. So Matt and Jamel decided that it would be fun to put a hormonal pregnant woman who's already emotional on her own on the stage. So don't worry, I already have tissue. I'm prepared. Um, but bear with me if uh, tears start streaming down my face. <laughs> um, but we are in our third week of our series called The Hope Quotient. And last week, Jamel talked, uh, preached a sermon on recharging our batteries. This whole idea of the fact that part of having hope, part of really having hope in God is getting rid of the things that suck or drain our energy. Like the things that completely deplete us, but then focusing on the things that don't. The things that give us life. The things that you would say, recharge our batteries. And so then small groups, we talked further into that. And, and what does that look like? What drains you? What, what gives you life? So we're going we're gonna to build on that this week. And we're going to talk about raising our expectations. Now, I've just lost half the room because I said the word expectation. Because in, for some reason in our culture, that word is almost like a a bad word, like expectation. When you hear that, all of a sudden you're like, oh, people want something from me. Oh, like people, like if I have high expectations, then I could get disappointed. I could get hurt. So we kind of stray away from expectations. Or if we have them, we don't say them. Because if we say them, then they're real. Then they're voiced. So we're going to define the word expectation. In Webster's Dictionary, we'll take it back, it's a strong belief that something will happen or be the case in the future. It's a belief that someone will or should achieve something. And then in, it says the ancient definition is one's prospect of inheritance. See, the word expectation itself is filled with hope. You're hoping for something. 
You're waiting with expectation that something will be given to you. So why, why do we stray away from expectation? Why, why do we find it necessary to, to have low expectations? Why do we find it necessary to never talk about our expectations? If we really believe that it's one's prospect of inheritance, in inheritance, then we should be shouting from the rooftop our expectation. Because if we truly believe that God is the God of everything, if God is the God that loves us and is good and he fulfills his promises and all those things, then our expectations should not be low and they should not be hidden. They should be high and they should be voiced. So I um, prayed a lot about how, what does this look like in the Bible, and its expectation is throughout the Bible. Honestly, if we didn't have people who had had expectation or had had the belief that God could do the impossible, I don't know that the Bible would really be here, because the Bible in itself is impossible, if you think about it. And the Bible was a word given to not just one person. It has several writers, and it makes up a book. So this in itself is only possible because of God. So I thought about the Israelites, or the people of Israel. And um, they, they have like a crazy story. Um, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just going to give you the highlights uh, for all of you like, super theological, you know everything that happened to the Israelites, I'm going to miss stuff. So I'm really sorry. I just, we would be here until tomorrow if I said everything that the Israelites went through. So I'm just going to kind of give us a backstory before we go into our passage. And the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. That's where we're going to start. They were enslaved in Egypt, and they were crying out to God that they would be saved. They wanted to be rescued. They had this expectation that God would one day hear their prayers, and he did. He brought Moses, and Moses came and approached Pharaoh and said, free the Israelites, free the people of Israel, and if you don't, then 12 plagues will come. And he, he didn't, so God said, here you go, 12 plagues. And then Pharaoh said, enough's enough, after his firstborn was killed, and he let the Israelites go. So right off the bat, God comes through. He hears Israel's cries. He's leading them by a cloud in the, during the day and a pillar of fire at night, and they are confident. They're marching. They have expectation that God is going to follow through. And then they get to the Red Sea, and all of a sudden, they're done. They're ready to go back. They're like, mm, that's too much. Oh, and then, all of a sudden, Pharaoh's like, what did I just do? I let go of all my slaves. So then he starts coming the other way. So they've got what seems to be an impossible situation in front of them. And I'm not going to lie. If I were part of this, I would be looking at that ocean being like, I'm not going in there. I don't like the ocean. I like looking at it. I want to be in it. So then all of a sudden, 
God says, Moses, put your staff in the water. And I don't know if you can really think about this, but like the whole Red Sea splits. And they don't walk on wet ground. They literally walk on dry ground. So the water is split in two. Like imagine, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen the Prince of Egypt, but like there's like animals that you see. That like was legitimately their life. They're walking as animals are swimming in this sea. And they make it across, and Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's army is like, well, we got to go after him. So he goes after them. And the next thing you know, the, the Red Sea comes back together, and Pharaoh's army and himself wiped away. So, so God has come through. So now they've got this idea of the promised land, this promised land that's supposed to be filled with milk and honey. It's supposed to be the sweetest of sweetest lands. And that's where they're headed towards. And you would think, and they're thinking, we're just going to waltz right in, right? Like, God rescued us. He split the Red Sea. We're on the other side. This is great. Like, we've got this. We're going to waltz right in. No. Because when another moment happened, and Moses was up on Mount Sinai having his moment with God, well, he took too long. So the Israelites decided, well, I'm going to build a golden calf because that's more important. So then he built a golden calf, and... And in that, God says, you're going to wander in the desert for 40 years. But I'll be with you, the Ark of the Covenant. He'll be with them. He didn't leave them. He didn't abandon them. But the second that they didn't have what they needed, they didn't have the food that they needed, they didn't have enough, they want to go back to Egypt. So then God says, okay, I'll let water come out of a log, bread fall from the sky, birds come through, like everything that you could need, I'm going to give you. I've never seen bread fall from the sky. I honestly, at this point, am still baffled about the fact that every time the Israelites hit a roadblock, they wanted to go back to the land of captivity. They wanted to go back to Egypt because that was comfortable, and that was easy, and that was known. Instead of being in the land of the impossible, where when they hit a roadblock and looking forward and saying, God, you've already let bread fall from the sky... You've already split a sea. You've been with us. You've led us by pillar of fire at night, a cloud in the day. You've wiped out our enemies. All of these things. Um, yeah, I, I still don't believe that, that this is for me, that that promise is for me. So then we meet the Israelites, and we meet them in Numbers. Numbers does have stories. It's not just laws. Um, we meet them in Numbers 14, and I'm going to read you. It's, it's 11 verses, so stick with me. It will be on the screen. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we have died in the land of Egypt? Or would that we have died in the wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and said to the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we pass through to spy it out is exceedingly good land. 
If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent in the meeting to all the people of Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people despise me? How long will they not believe in me in spite of the signs that I have done among them? So Israel is at the cusp of getting into the promised land. They have sent 12 spies into the promised land. And only two of them came back with a good report. The rest of them, it says in it, it says before in Numbers 13, it says that the spies, they were telling about the thing, and they said that, um, sorry, the other side of the brain. <laughs> it says, so they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And now we saw the Nephilim, and we seemed to ourselves we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. And we seemed to them so that we seemed to them, sorry. So essentially the other ten spies came back and said, These people are too great, their armies are too big, we cannot do this. But this is the promised land. So this is God's promise. And you would think, after wandering in the desert for 40 years, you would want to walk into that promise. You would want that promise. But because it didn't come easy, because that promise wasn't just handed to them, they wanted to go back to Egypt. And not only did they want to go back to Egypt, but they wanted to pick a new leader to lead them back to Egypt. And then when two people stood up and said they tore their clothes, and that means they were grieved. They were grieved over Israel's reaction. They tore their clothes, and because of that, they said, kill them. Stone them. You, like, Caleb and Joshua were bringing hope. And they wanted to kill them. It's, it's moments like these that we read these stories and we think, what were they thinking? And then you take a moment and you're like, oh crap, that's me. Like, what was, what was I thinking? You see, Israel wanted to go back to the land of Egypt 14 different times throughout their time in the wilderness. And if we think about this, there was 40 years of them wandering in the wilderness. So most of the people who in this situation were saying, let's go back, wouldn't it be better that we have died in Egypt than to die here in the wilderness? Never actually experienced captivity in Egypt. They don't actually know what they're going back to. They have no idea. They're literally going back to a land that they have no knowledge of. They're going back into captivity because they think it's comfortable, but what they don't know is what they're going back to. They're going back to being slaves. They're going back to being, to making bricks with their hands, to building pyramids, to doing all of these things, that it's being whipped, to being beaten, to being drained. 
We talked last week about getting away from the things that drained you so that you could have hope and have recharged batteries. And the Israelites are like, well, let's go back. Like, I want to be drained. It's a lot easier than being energized. But it's, but it's not. And we do this. We so often want to be in the area of captivity in Egypt because it's easier. We only want to be in the wilderness and in the land of the impossible when we're going to get handed our promises on a silver platter. But whenever we have to put work towards that, we want to run back. Because it's easier. But then there's this glimmer of hope because basically Moses and Aaron have said all they can say. They're tired. They're like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. So they just fall on their faces because that's all they know to do. But then God raises up two other people, Caleb and Joshua, who are going to be that hope. They're going to be that glimmer that the people of Israel need. They, they, say, they say to them, these people are bread for us. And I, I looked up what that meant. I mean, I had an idea of what that meant. But what, what the, the writer of Numbers is saying, like, these people are easy for us to devour. They're easy enough for us to devour, like, we eat bread. Like, as easily as we eat the manna that has fallen from the sky, these people will be, we will take them over. Because the Lord isn't with them. The Lord is with us. And how amazing would it be if we walked every day with the confidence that Joshua and Caleb had to say, the Lord is with me. I can do anything. Like, if we actually walked with that confidence, instead of walking in the confidence of, well, yeah, I know the Lord is with me, but uh, I, I don't know if that's today. I'm, I'm going to stay here. Like, I'm hopeful. Or like, look at that person go. They're hoping. Like, the Israelites had to have a moment. Like, good job, Joshua and Caleb. Well done. You have great hope in, the, in God. Um, we're going to go back to Egypt. We're going to kill you first, and we're good. We don't need that hope. We've been in this season for too long. We've waited on this promise for too long. I don't know when we decided to start making time be ours, or when we decided to decide, like, God's timeline on things. There's never, it's never going to be our time. It's never going to be our plan. And those promises aren't ever going to fall into our hands the way we want them to or the way we think they should. I, um, like I mentioned before, Jacob, my husband, and I are expecting our first baby. We're really excited, um, a little bit terrified, mostly terrified, but excited. Um, <laughs> but what m- many of you probably don't know is that this is an impossible promise for me. Ever since I was a little girl, I've always wanted to be a wife and a mom. Like, honestly, I didn't even want a career. I was like, I just want to be a wife and a mom. That's it. Obviously, that's changed. I love my job. I love what I do, and I look forward to what's going to happen in the future. But at the age of 21, after several doctor's visits, um, finding out that I had celiac disease and hormone imbalances, and the list goes on and on and on, 
I had a doctor finally tell me, I just need you to know and I need you to come to grips with the fact that there's a chance you will never, conce- you will never be able to hold a pregnancy. Now that doesn't mean I can't conceive, but it meant that I was, a, I was set up to potentially experience miscarriage after miscarriage after miscarriage. And so I had to come into Jacob and I's marriage with him knowing like, hey, just so you know, like, this may never happen for us. And that's okay. Like, honestly, I look forward to the day that we adopt. Like, we're going to. We still plan to. I look forward to that. But I wanted to be a mom so badly. And then we decided, well, heck, we'll try. This was not an accident. This was not an oops baby. This baby was planned for. I know y'all might think that we're crazy. We've only been married for a year and a half. We're young. Whatever. But like, looking at us, so we got pregnant real fast, and I've had zero complications. And you would think, you would think that would be enough. You'd think that that would be enough for me to be like, God, this is all you. But no, every doctor's appointment, I'm nervous that they're going to tell me that there's not a heartbeat or that there's something wrong. And I'm constantly like the Israelites, putting myself back into the impossible, putting myself back into captivity because believing that this promise is for me is hard. It is not that I wake up every day having this hope. No, it's the opposite. More often I wake up in the land of Egypt in the captive thoughts that we would never, I would never one day know what it was to conceive, to carry a child. I'm not looking forward to giving birth, but all of that. This baby is a promise. This baby is a gift. You see, in the in the book, there's a couple different perspective. There's a couple different traits, and, and a few of them for me, I had to I had to work through. And, and the first was I had to change my perspective. I had to look at it through the eyes of God and not through my own, because this should be impossible, right? Like I should have experienced everything that the doctors experienced, but when I look through it with God's eyes, this is a piece of cake. When I look at Jake and I, Jacob and I's bank account, and I'm like, we're about to bring a kid into this world. <laughs> And I think, there's no way. But that's me looking through a human eyes. Just like the Israelites needed to change their perspective, instead of saying, this is too hard, let's go back, and looking at it the way that Caleb and Joshua did, with the hope and with the expectation that that was God's promise for them, we have to look at it with that hope. God has given each and every one of us these promises. We have to see it through those eyes. We have to look at those promises with expectation, with hope that that is really what he has for us. But it doesn't mean it's going to come easy. We also have to look at it with the hope that we're going to have to potentially put in some work. God is a good, good God. We have to believe that all things are possible. 
and we quote and we sing and we do all these things with these songs, right? So last week we're sitting in church and we were singing Healer, which I made them sing it again this week because it just, yeah. But then we sang other songs this week that I was like, well, this works too. And we sing these songs of like, nothing is impossible with you. And yes and amen. And all of these things that you're faithful and, and you will give us all of your promises. We rest in your promises. Your, our confidence, I'm probably butchering these lyrics. I'm really sorry. Our confidence is in you. All of these things. And we believe it when we sing it on a Sunday morning. But when you wake up tomorrow, do you actually believe it? When you're looking at that promise of healing, when you're looking at that, that dream, it's not even a promise, it's a dream. The promise thing was a dream. So maybe there's a dream that you've let go because it's impossible. But we'll stand here on a Sunday morning and we'll quote scripture about being impossible. And we'll say, it is through, it is through your yes that you are promised. But we don't actually believe it for ourselves. That's like rocked me this whole week. Actually believing that all things are possible. Actually believing for myself. As the worship team comes and, and we get ready to close, I want, before we come in and we take communion, I, I want all of us, not just me, to pause. What is that impossible thing? What is that dream that has died because it was just too hard or because it just didn't make sense or you didn't know how it was going to come about? And as we sing songs and as we sing words and we say that nothing is impossible with God and nothing is impossible with you, before, like, believe them. Tomorrow morning when you wake up, like, believe that that impossible is possible. Now, I'm not saying that you're going to wake up tomorrow and that impossible thing is going to show up. No, 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 no. Because sometimes it takes time. The Israelites wandered in the desert for 40 years before, and before they got to the promised land. And if you're wandering, wander. Watch God in that season because God didn't leave the Israelites when they were wandering. He performed impossible things in that season too. It's not just about the promised land. It's not just about the impossible happening. It's about the journey just as much. We have choice. We can either be like the Israelites and every time we hit a roadblock, we can head back. We can head back to the land of Egypt. We can head back to the land where there's no hope, but it's comfortable. There's low expectations because we can't be disappointed that way. Or we can walk every day, one foot in front of the next, into the impossible with hope, with high expectation that your God loves you. That the God that you worship on a Sunday morning loves you Monday through Saturday and wants to see the impossible happen for you all the days of the week, 
not just one. So we're gonna um, if we're gonna move into a time of communion. We'll have Matt and Jamal and Stephanie available for prayer. If you've never made the step towards handing over that impossible to God, and maybe that's your life, like maybe that's your whole heart, maybe that's saying, God, I need you. But if you've never done that, please, please come see one of our pastors and pray with them. And if you're sitting there and God's like sparking something in you, and you, you're like, I can't have hope that the impossible happen on my own. Like, let us pray with you. Let us help. Let us be the Joshua and Caleb for you. Let us have that hope alongside you as you walk into the wilderness or as you walk through the wilderness and into the promised land. Communion is a time for us to come together as believers. It's a time for us to celebrate Jesus and the fact that he didn't just die on a cross and raise again, but he's with us every day. It's not just a reminder, it's a, it's a celebration. So I'm going to pray for us. And then just take a couple minutes, take a couple seconds, and as the Lord leads you, come get communion. Go and pray with one of our pastors. Pray with each other. Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for the fact that you make the possible happen. And it is through you that our dreams come true. And it is through you that, it, that, our, that impossible things become possibilities. But God, I also thank you for the wilderness. I thank you for the fact that you show up, not just in the big ways, but in the little ways. God, I pray for every single person in this room. I pray for every single heart in this room. These are your daughters and your sons, and you love them. And you want the impossible for them. I pray that you will bless us this week, Father. I thank you for your blessings. May we walk in confidence and knowing that it is through you that all things are possible and we can do anything because we have you fighting for us. God, you are a good, good, good father. And that never changes. In your name I pray. Amen. Please come to the table.